0: Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church, located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. What up, Mission Church? You doing well this morning? Good, good. A couple of things before I get preaching. Number one, I got to give honor where honor is due. First of all, my wife. She's the beautiful Latina princess in the front row. I ain't gonna lie to you, we've been living the vida Loca. We're a year and a half in marriage, it's been phenomenal, God has been good. I love you, boo boo, couldn't do this without you. You're my queen. Uh, secondly, I wanna honor your pastors. Uh, And I think sometimes it's habitual, which I frankly don't have a problem with that, but it is habitual usually in Christendom for men and women of God to come in and the thing you're supposed to do is honor the pastors. But it's a very biblical principle because uh, sometimes the crazy black cousin needs to come in and tell you how blessed you are, you know what I mean? Sometimes, uh, Sometimes you could be in the middle of something and you've been in it for so long you don't recognize what you're in. And you guys are in revival. You know what I mean? Every time I come back to this church, it grows. And please, please don't think growth is necessarily only numerical but the spirit of worship is growing in this place. The spirit of the prophetic is growing in this place. Impartation, the gifts of the spirit are being active in this place, and the byproduct is that people from around the Bay Area are coming to where you are to get what you got, and it's such a big deal, and so, but God, whenever God wants to do something in the land, he always chooses a man or a woman to do it, and who he's chosen for this church, for this generation, for this time, is Pastor Tyler and Rachel Johnson, and, and every time, every time, I mean this, every time I talk to Pastor Tyler, I get better. Uh, he makes me funnier because uh, he's hilarious. And I love you to death, sir. My wife and I, we are so for you and what God is doing. And thank you for giving us the opportunity uh, to play a very small part in what God is doing and, and through you guys. We're so, so grateful. Can we give your pastors a hand one more time? Cool. Well, uh, 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 I'm going like I feel it. And I'm, I'm feeling it this morning. It's, it's interesting that even this message I'm getting ready to preach, it's really aligned with where God is getting ready to take you guys in regards to vision and, and new things that God is doing in and through your church. And uh, and so I'm from uh, the Pentecostal church, if you will. Yeah, the crazy churches. We'll just say what it is. And so if something is good, you can say amen. You can say mm-mm-mm. Uh, uh, uh. You can say preach. There was one point where I just made a face at Pastor Darnell. I just made a face at him. He hit it out. I was just like... So if you want to make faces at me, come on, God is good. But we're, we're going to have a good time. And also, I hurt my leg yesterday. We had a, a swim party with about 25 of our department heads yesterday. And I woke up this morning, and I could barely walk. So if you see me pacing and I'm limping, I'm not trying to be cool. I promise you, I just, my leg hurts. <laughs> so we're, we're going to get into the word. And if I could be honest with you, and honest isn't the word, if I could be very vulnerable and transparent with you, uh, there isn't a more important message that I've been preaching right now than the message I'm getting ready to bring you. Um, It's something that has been changing me. It's been changing the way that I view my marriage. It's been changing the way that I view the church, but more so it's been changing the way that I view God. And and this is something in the Western church that needs to be more activated, this concept and this idea that is actually God's idea for us as humanity. And so I'm gonna be bringing the word of God to you all. And and I'm gonna be preaching as the vessel, uh, and I'm gonna be preaching as kind of the echo, but I'm not the voice, Uh, I'm not the source, and I'm not the one who's actually going to be speaking as much as God's gonna be speaking to our hearts through Holy Spirit. And so I'm excited to see what he does. And so I'm gonna get straight into it, if that's okay. It's my custom to stand for the reading of God's word. So if you're able to, can we stand on our feet as we get into the word of God together? We're gonna be in uh, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter seven, verses five through seven. Second Corinthians chapter seven, verses five through seven. Now, to, to let you guys know, uh, this is Paul and Paul's in a place that he doesn't want to be. Paul at this time has seen miraculous power come forth. Paul at this time has seen God do immeasurably more. But he finds himself as he's following God in a place that he didn't think he was going to be in. And I don't know about some of you, but sometimes when we think about God, we think when we follow God that we're going to go where God wants us to go. When in reality, we're going to go where he wants us to go. And sometimes the following can get a little bit slippery. You know what I mean? Sometimes I feel like I'm leading God more than he's leading me. And Paul is following God and doing the will of God. And he finds himself in a position and in a setting that he doesn't expect expect to be in. And there's this unusual miracle that oftentimes I would submit to you, you and I undermine. Um, And it happens actually on a weekly basis and it has the potential to happen on a daily basis. The sending of someone, the sending of someone. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 5 through 7. This is what it says. Now granted, this is Paul writing. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within that's really faith-filled he said our bodies had no rest but we were afflicted at every turn fighting without and fear within but god who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of titus and not only by his coming but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you as he told us of your longing your mourning and your zeal for me so that I rejoiced still the more. I want to speak to you guys around this idea this morning. You need people, and people need you. You need people, and people need you. Look at your neighbor and say, you need me. (laughs) Look at that other neighbor and say, whether you like it or not, you need me. Yeah. (laughs) Would you guys all bow your heads in prayer with me? Uh, Holy Spirit, thank you for being here. Reminded when the psalmist wrote that our our souls find rest in you. And so, Holy Spirit, I thank you that he who began a good work will continue to complete it in the moments that we have together. They're special and they're intentional. Father, I'm not much, so please use me, God. I need you. So please use me, Lord, to speak to your sons and daughters, God. I thank you so much for what you're doing in Intermission Church, God. And I pray for more, more growth, more expansion, Jesus. More people filling these doors, more small group leaders to be developed, more volunteers to get involved. Just more. There's more for this church. And Jesus, we would be remiss if we didn't pray your blessing over the Oakland Raiders as we get ready to transition into week one. And all guys, people said. Let it be so, uh, yeah, let it be so. High five a couple people as you take a seat. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know, I felt something shift in the spirit when I said that. Something jumped in me, I don't know what it was, but I, I felt something, it was really good. You know, recently uh, my, my young adults group that my wife and I had the opportunity to lead, we put on a pretty big event. Um, about a couple of months ago at the Center for the Performing Arts. It's this this massive auditorium that fits about 2,500 people in downtown San Jose. And what we wanted to do collectively as a community is we wanted to basically um, put on a catalytic event, put on a creative production where people in the downtown San Jose area could just come for free. They could just walk in and get to see an amazing show and an amazing demonstration and production of the life of Jesus Christ. And so long story short, y'all, our little young adults group, we raised $60,000 and and, one office offering was absolutely incredible, and uh, we ended up going downtown and filling this massive auditorium out with about oh, with a little bit over 1,700 people, saw 55 people come forward and publicly declare their faith. I mean, it was an amazing, amazing time. God did immeasurably more than we could have ever asked, thought, or imagined. I mean, he's just the miracle worker. He does it. It's what he does. Um, but, but there was this moment kind of leading up to it where we had these street teams kind of hit in different locations. About 25 or 30 people got on teams, and we were hitting the east side of San Jose. If you know where the east side is, it's the hood. I was super excited. We were going to the hood, and we had a team going downtown and then to the Oak Ridge Mall area, then downtown to San, and also down to Santana Row, and we were just hitting all these different places and just really passing out cars. We passed out over 15,000 cars over the course of two weeks, and so we were just living the dreams, walking up to people old school, like, you want to come to church? Like, we're having this free event, you know?" just kind of loving people, and my wife and I, we we're on the downtown team. And we ended up making our way to St. James Park, St. James Park, and I got there a little bit late, and I'm not kidding you, I love our young people, they're radical, I get there, and there was about 30 young adults that just took over the park. And if you don't know about St. James Park, it's where a lot of crack addicts and meth addicts live, and so you walk in there and you see needles that are in trash cans and laying on the side, and we just went right in there and took over. And so I see all my young adults that are talking to homeless people and, and people who who had never been into the CPA, and we're inviting them to church, and we're inviting them just to community, and we're just loving on them, you know what I mean? The gospel's from from everybody, from the nameless to the famous. We're just like, hey, come on in, come and see what God can do in it through your life. And so I ended up getting there and I ended up meeting a young Filipino kid. He was 18 years old. His name was Lord. His name was Lord. As soon as I heard his name, I'm like, I'm drawn to you. What? what tell me why your name is Lord. And so we started having a conversation and just talking a little bit. And he seemed very normal he seemed really cool. Uh, We were just kind of talking about life and and out of nowhere this this guy who looked like he was on drugs came and sat down next to me and all of a sudden, Lord went from zero to a hundred real quick, Drake. He went from zero to a hundred. I mean, all of a sudden, Lord just started yelling and shouting and frankly, he was just manifesting and this calm kid went from this manifestation of anger and rage and he's walking throughout the park, cussing everybody out, saying that he wants to fight and I'm kind of sitting there, I was like, man, how did get here so quick you know and and he's just yelling and i had this moment i don't know about y'all but i read the bible and i look for opportunities like this okay i'm a little bit crazy too i'm not gonna lie to you i watch cnn to help me sleep at night like like i look for chaos at times because jesus has the ability to bring order and so i started thinking i'm like god you dealt with people like this in the bible and you had a boldness to walk up to people and, and, and say that their spirits had to be aligned in the name of jesus and i was like you won't do it chase you won't you won't will you Actually, you might not. And so I'm contemplating in my head, like maybe I should walk up to this young man and just love on him. And I'm like, God, give me that type of boldness that isn't afraid. That just isn't afraid, you know, but just has a spirit that you had, Jesus, where where you went into the dark places of the soul. You went into the dark places where people were. And as I'm contemplating this, suddenly Lord makes his way to me. He walks up to me. He's like, man, that guy's crazy. And I was like, I was like, that guy's crazy. (laughs) And I just simply asked him a very simple question. I'm like, why are you acting this way, Lord? Why are you acting like this? He said, oh, you want to know why I'm acting like this? I'll tell you why. He said, it started in the Philippines when I was a little kid. He's like, so I was born and raised in the Philippines. And my dad used to beat my mother, Chase. He used to beat her right in front of me. And so my mom, she ended up fleeing to the States. And I ended up being raised by my father, who, when I was 14 years old, introduced me to meth. And so I started meth when I was 14 years old. I used to do it with my dad in the living room. And after about a couple years of doing that, what ended up happening is my dad not only uh, took it, but he also sold it. And so he got a 17 year sentence and they took my father from me. And so what they ended up doing is they ended up deporting me to the States to live with my mother. But there's a problem with that. My mother didn't want anything to do with me either. The reason why she didn't want anything to do with me is because my face reminded her of my dad. So every time she saw me, she was dealing with the domestic abuse that took place, and she was almost somewhat blaming me. There were numerous days, Chase, where I had to find food and figure out ways to get to school because my mother wouldn't feed me. Imagine that, Chase. Imagine being 15, 16 years old, and you have to figure out what you're going to have for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and you don't even have any money. It made me a hustler. And so what I did when I was 17, I left high school, didn't graduate, and i have been living on the streets for a very long time very long time why are you the way that you are and I said shoot I don't know (laughs) and what I realized about Lord if I'm being honest with you is he had more self-awareness than most Christians I come across because in church it's Halloween every Sunday masks everywhere and yet Lord knew why he was the way that he was. Now, he didn't know how to deal with why he was the way that he was, but he knew why he was the way that he was. And so all I really did was say to him, I'm so sorry, man. I wrapped my arms around him. And then there was this moment that took place after me hugging him that I will never forget. I promise you it will stick with me for the rest of my life. It seemed like a very, very on its surface, not very big of a deal. It wasn't this beautiful, beautiful statement. It wasn't very even eloquent on how we said it. But I I remember that it just kind of jumped inside of me in a way that I can't explain. And the rest of the day as I was walking downtown, I just kept kind of pondering over this truth inside of me. He, after we got done hugging, he stopped, and he looked at me, and this was all he said. Chase, I'm glad you came. And it was, it was as if in that moment, a moment that seemed accidental was overwhelmingly intentional. It was as if in that moment, church, a moment that seemed random was the provision of Almighty God. And as I was walking, I just started thinking about how crazy I've been in my lifetime. And how there, was, how there have been numerous, numerous moments across my journey where I found myself acting in a way that I shouldn't be acting and doing things I shouldn't be doing. And people showed up in my mess. And people showed up in my chaos. And I thought to myself that same thought, man, I'm so happy they came. Because I know many of us, we might be judging Lord while forsaking what's taking place on his journey to get to where he is. But whether you know it or not, we all got a little bit of crazy in all of us. And if you don't know that you're a little crazy, you might be the craziest. (laughs) We, We all got a little bit of crazy inside of all of us. And what God has been showing me, church, if I could just be vulnerable with all of you this year, more than anything... Is that I need people. And how many times have I been in a situation where I've been able to say the very same statement the young Lord said at 18 years old? I'm glad you came. And my issue this morning is that so many of, so many people inside of the church, as the church, are fighting battles on their own that they should not be fighting and are in a space of isolation when we weren't created to be alone. Y'all know the Bible. It says in Genesis chapter 1 that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without, was without void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, but the Spirit of God was hovering over the midst of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God began to create with the bara, which was the creative power of God, and he used his breath to create everything by the power of his word. And for five days he's creating all of the earth, and on the sixth day he's making the animals. and he's making humanity and on the seventh day he rests not because he's tired but because he's finished but there is this one moment where where Adam is where Adam is just kind of living and he's bringing identity to the animals in the same way that God brought identity to him and he's tending the land and What we see in Genesis 1 and 2 is the repetition of God repeating, and the Lord God said it was good, and the Lord God said it was good, and the Lord God said it was good, and the Lord God said it was good. But when he looked at humanity, he saw that Adam was alone, and the first time God says something isn't good is when man is alone. He says, yeah, it's not good for man to be alone. That's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. So he created one mind. What's good? (laughs) Yeah, he created one mind and we've been going ever since. Let's go. But he, he makes it very clear. It is not good for man to be alone. Now, what sin does when it came into the world is it fractured God's original plan. It fractured the cosmos, it fractured the universe, it fractured the animals, it fractured humanity. Sin is an indwelling disease that affects our outward expression. And what sin does is it ruins the plan of God. But what Jesus does is he takes us back into the plans of God. Are y'all tracking with me? Sin fractures. Jesus takes us back in. And so the temptation for you and I within our sinful nature is to be in isolation. And it's to be alone, it's to walk alone, it's to struggle alone, and it's to keep people at a distance. And the reason why some of us keep people at a distance is because life has taught us to do that. Because some of you, your pain didn't come from your home life, your pain came from the church. And I'm sorry about that. The church has hurt people, because hurt people are in the church, and you guys got great pastors and leaders, but they're not perfect, and that's why we're trying to point y'all to the perfect one. Pastor Tyler's really close, but he's not perfect. You know, the longer that beard gets, the more he looks like Jesus to me. It's phenomenal. We're we're not perfect. And there will be moments where we make mistakes, and that's why we're trying to point people to the greater Savior, the greater Counselor Jesus himself. But oftentimes, when we experience pain within our lives, the temptation for you and I is to, I'm never going to be vulnerable again. I'm not going to let people into that area. I'll be vulnerable to the extent of my heart being safe. But the moment I feel that I am put in a position of being judged, condemned, or criticized, I will isolate myself and not let people in. And men and women of God, this happens every single Sunday. How do I know? Some of y'all walked in and you're struggling. You walked into church and you had a hard week. Maybe the marriage is difficult. Maybe you're wondering how your bills are going to be paid. Maybe you got thoughts about your job. Am I going to be employed at the end of this month? Maybe your kids are acting absolutely crazy and you're like, Lord, if you don't take them, I surely will. Like maybe you're facing family drama, maybe you're dealing with anxiety, maybe you're sick inside of your body. I don't know what you're facing, but I know all of us have the common denominator of pain. And some of you, you walked into pain, walked in with pain this week, and what happened? Someone walked up to you and said, How are you doing? And you said, Blessed. Oh, everything's great. Phenomenal. When in reality it's not everything isn't great everything isn't phenomenal life is actually really difficult but for some reason in the church we have construct, constructed ourselves to act a little bit fake it's not deal with the reality of where we actually are now i'm not saying that you walk in every single week and you're the Debbie downer But what I am saying is that God actually asks of us that we might be vulnerable not only with him, but also with each other. Because for some church people, you need to know this, and this is a theological truth, and if you want to get after it, we can get after it. God is not enough for you. God is enough for himself. But God sends people to you because he's inside of them. them. And them living with God inside of them will literally speak to the context of where you are. And how many times do you and I forsake the miracles that are all around this room right now, waiting on God to bring us something that he's actually already brought us, each other? And many of us, we've experienced the miraculous power of God. We really have. We've seen God do amazing things. But what I want to submit to you is so did Paul. We're talking about Paul, y'all. I almost titled this sermon, We're Talking About Paul, y'all. I was this close. I'm serious. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 17 has a really, really interesting moment. But, but before we get into second, oh excuse me, 2 Corinthians 7, but before we get into 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we have to talk about what Paul has seen up to this point, y'all. Paul has seen some miracles. Like Paul was preaching one time, right? He's preaching and, and a lot of scholars believe that he was kind of a boring preacher. Scholars believe that Apollos was more of the charismatic one, but but you know, Paul, they, they think he was a little bit overweight and he kind of had a bald head and he kind of had that fire tuck kind of vibe, but he was super anointed. And so he was preaching in this house, right? And as he's preaching, a dude was like, man, this is good, but I can barely stay awake. And this guy who was sitting in the window fell asleep, fell out of the window, broke his neck and Paul said, Hold on, I got to pause. Went down the stairs to where he was, raised that man from the dead, and then came back up and kept preaching. Now look, if you fall asleep and break your neck, I'll try it, but I don't know. I'm wide awake. You better stay awake. Like, I'll give it a shot. Me and Pastor Tyler, we'll come into agreement, but I don't know. I don't know. This is Paul. Paul's the type of guy where he keeps going into this town over and over, and a woman who's demon possessed kept kind of gibbering and jabbering at him, and he casted out the demon because he got annoyed. He's like, I'm annoyed, come out! And she's like, free. That's how it looked. And then the sorcerer, who was her boss, got mad at him. They beat Paul and his boy with rods, threw him in the back of a prison where theologians believe he had sewage up to his waist. And at the midnight hour, he looked at his boy Barnabas and was like, what worship song are we singing? You want to do Stomp by Kirk Franklin? A little darling check, a little shout to the Lord. Do it again. And these men begin to worship in the midnight hour and the sound that they're bringing reaches heaven. Heaven activates an earthquake on the earth so much so that the bars begin to break. And a Roman man gets saved because Paul and his good friend, <laughs> they saw an opportunity for salvation take place. I'm talking about Paul. I'm talking about Paul who was getting on a ship and he looked at the boys. He's like, it's going to get shipwrecked. I know y'all are taking me on this boat. But if you take me on this boat, it's going to get shipwrecked. like, be quiet, Paul. We're going on. And then the shipwreck happened, and Paul's floating on debris. He's like, I told y'all we were going to get shipwrecked. The boat is gone, and that's okay. We're going to make it. Some of y'all need to worship like this. You need a little more rhythm. Okay. Talking about Paul. We're talking about Paul who went up to the third heaven and wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that what I saw in that realm was ineffable. In other words, what I saw in that realm, there is not human vernacular to describe the glory of God that I was currently seeing. There are not human words to fully detail the majesty, the wonder, and the splendor of Almighty God. We're talking about Paul who sent out apostles and and men and women and sons and daughters and leader up into Asia Minor and up into Greece We're talking about Paul who went to Jerusalem as it was prophesied over his life that he would leave there in chains later being sent to Rome where he would be beheaded for the faith. We're talking about Paul who raised up sons like Timothy and wrote them and said, don't forget the gift that was stirred up in you through the laying on of my hands, fan into flame, the gift of God that is burning within the innermost parts of who you are. We're talking about Paul. We're talking about Paul that saw Jesus on the road to Damascus when he was in an identity crisis and the sun showed up and blinded his flesh. Eyes And opened the eyes of his heart and said unto him, why are you persecuting me? Yeah, yeah. And his name got changed that day. Yeah. A new name, a new calling. We're talking about Paul, who is seeing God do some really, really cool things. And in 2 Corinthians, we have this really, really strange moment. This moment for me, church, has been one that I have been in the words of the psalmist, I've been in the posture of Selah, which is just a pause. I've just been sitting here for a while. Because I've seen some God I've seen God do some great things. But I've been living my life minimizing miracles that are all around me. Paul's in Macedonia, and it's not going good. I love under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he's writing the precious word of God, he gets really vulnerable. This is what he says. He's like, Our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. Fighting without. This is a man of God, and he had God, and he said, I feel like I was fighting without. (laughs) That'll get your theology going. Fighting without and fear within. Affliction at every turn. What I want some of you to know is that you can feel like you're fighting without and have affliction at every turn and still be in the will of God. And he's tired. And something that he admits to the church is probably something that the church of Corinth was not expecting to read. The church of Corinth looked up to Paul. They challenged him to a degree on his validity to actually be, a, be an apostle. But they looked up to Paul greatly, and this is his second letter to them. They love him and they believe in him. And something that he says to them is something that is one of the greatest forms of leadership that you and I could ever do. It's not popular, but it's phenomenal. He looks at them and he says, the context of where I am is I, ha- is I was fighting without and I had fear within. Paul is telling the church, I was in a season where I was afraid. And the hardest thing for you and I to do, especially men, is to admit that we're afraid. I'm afraid. I, I actually don't know what to do. I'm actually afraid. Now, I'm a, my father raised me right. And he raised me watching Rocky. I've seen all the Rocky movies. I thought the men would be a little bit more excited about that. That's just what I thought. Um, I thought you would support me a little more, guys. I, no, I really did. I just thought some guys would be like, ah, nah, nah, nah. Like there was just, there was nothing. I just, wow. Okay, so Rocky. And uh, my, my favorite Rocky movie by far is Rocky 3. I love Rocky 3. It's a great, 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 great story. Y'all know it, or maybe you don't, but I'm going to tell it to you. Basically, Rocky, he has about 10 title defenses. He's been winning a little bit, has acquired a lot of wealth, and he lost the eye of the tiger. He ended up going against Clubber Lang, a.k.a. Mr. T. And Mr. T basically ends up knocking Rocky out, and Rocky experiences some pain. His trainer dies. He's doubting whether or not he still got it, and good old Apollo Creed walks up. He says, you lost the eye of the tiger, baby, and we're going to get it back. And he took him to South Central L.A., which is a great place to get your confidence back. So he took him to South Central L.A., and they started training in the jungle together. Rocky was real discouraged, and it was as if Rocky couldn't even move like he used to. It was as if Rocky couldn't train like he used to. It was far more than physical. It was mental. He was mentally defeated, mentally down, mentally isolated, and there's this moment when we're getting kind of towards the, the latter half of the movie where Rocky gets on a beach and he's racing Apollo, and Apollo's just putting the burners on him. By burners, that, that means he's beating him. Sorry, football rhetoric. Y'all like the burners? Yeah, he's, he was winning. Well, Apollo was winning the race. And as he's, out, as he's out running him, it's like Rocky's just in slow motion, and he's so discouraged within himself. This man that had seen victory, this man that had wins, this man that had done some amazing things up to that point, he's so discouraged that he just stops. He just stops, and he, he walks over to the beach like, man, I'm done. But good old Adrian, and every man needs an Adrian. Don't get it twisted. Adrian walks over to Rocky. She's like, what's going on, Rocky? And Rocky, for the, his first two rebuttals to what Adrian was saying, he was completely lying. He's like, you know, I don't want to lose what I got. It's you. It's the kid. It's, it's the money. I, I don't want to lose what I got. And then she kept saying, what's the truth? She's like, what's the truth, Rocky? He's like, you know, I, you know, you know, I, I got a reputation now, and, and, and there's so much to lose. What's the truth, Rocky? You know, back in the day, it was just me, and I would go in the ring, and I would get beat up. And I didn't have to be concerned about, about you. What's the truth, Rocky? And sometimes that's what God will do with us. What's the truth? Yeah, I know we're focusing on the manifestation, but what's in the roots of your life? What's the truth? What's really scaring you? What's really freaking you out? What are you afraid of? Because for some of you, if we could just have a moment of honesty, the reason why you're afraid of not having money is because you've gone without. You're afraid of generational poverty repeating itself, and that's the reality. You know what it is to be raised without funds, and you feel like if you don't have funds and if you don't have resources to a certain level or a certain degree, then that somehow makes you invalid in society. See, some of you, you need to be honest why you're so afraid of getting married. The reason why you're so afraid of getting married is because you've seen divorce and you don't want to repeat the cycle. See, some of you, you need to be honest in your singleness. Some of y'all need to be like, hey, Jesus, uh, please give me that man. Give me that woman. But we even need to take this step further because some of you, you're getting into your 20s or your 30s and you're doubting whether or not you're actually enough. And you're thinking, there's something wrong with me. And God will always take you past what the surface manifestation is and go directly into the roots. And Adrian finally says, what's the truth? And he shouts, I'm afraid. You wanna break me down, I'm afraid. I'm terrified. And man, there's been so many moments where I have done that with God, but not enough moments where I've done that with people. And some of us, if we're being honest, we trust God vertically, but we don't trust people horizontally. So we're like, God, I'm just going to keep giving it to you. We're just going to keep on going vertical. No, God's got it. I know I'm struggling with this addiction, but God knows, and he'll take care of me. Then you keep repeating the cycle. You keep looking at things you shouldn't be looking at. You keep doing things you shouldn't be doing. No, I'm just going to leave it at the altars. Me and God know. And you keep repeating the same thing over and over. No, I can't let people into that area. I can't let people there. I can't say that. That's not what men say. That's not what women say. I can't say, not that far, not that vulnerable. And yet Paul is so vulnerable with the church that he says, I have fear within. And I know that the church at Corinth was reading this, not judging it, but being comforted by it, thinking, Even Paul gets scared. Wow, Paul's afraid. Now, when I read this, I think I know what's going to happen next. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to Paul. No. And then the earth began to shake again. No. And then fire came down from heaven. No. 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 He says, but God comforted us by the sending of Titus. Skirt, skirt, skirt. <laughs> <laughs> but God brought comfort to us by the sending of Titus. That was God's comfort, and that was God's miracle in that moment, the sending of a person. And I picture Paul in the corner, like, all of a sudden, he's like, man, we're getting worked over here. And he looks over, and Paul, and, and Titus is coming, and he's just like, oh, it's my boy, What's God!" And he walks over, and they throw their arms around each other, and Titus is like, how are you doing? And Paul's like, bro, it's terrible on these streets, but I'm so happy you came. Well, what if, Paul <laughs> what if Paul would've done what you and I do sometimes? Titus shows up, hey, what's going on, man? I came to where you are. I came to the direct context of where you're struggling. I came to the place where you're experiencing discouragement. I came to the place where you're experiencing weakness. I came to the place where you're feeling afflicted and you're without and you have fear within. I'm here with you, bro. And what if Paul was like, hey, no, everything's good. Oh, yeah. Macedonia great. We're winning. All we do is win, 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 no matter what, right? Yeah, that's what the Bible says. Speak it into existence. Yeah, Titus. He would have missed out on an opportunity to be encouraged and loved. And you and I, sometimes we do the very same thing. We miss out on opportunities to be encouraged and loved because we're afraid to let people into the context of where we actually are. And it is not enough to confess our weaknesses to God alone. Jesus little brother who knows a lot. Imagine being Jesus's little brother for a little bit. How discouraging would that be? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you guys are kicking it at school. You come home. Hey, Mother Mary. They walk in. Say, like, hey, little James, tell me about your day. He's like, you know, mom, I was taking Hebrew 101 and... And I end up getting a B plus on the test. He's like, oh my God, James, you're doing so well. We're so proud of you. What about you, Jesus? He's like, oh, I healed the whole playground. No big deal. (laughs) You know, everyone just kind of had the sniffles. I just just shot it over and they, (laughs) where did that come from? You know, they were just all cleansed. (laughs) How difficult would that be? But Jesus' little brother who saw his big brother to be the messianic one that was promised in the old covenant. He said something interesting. He said, confess your sins to one another. How scary is that? To actually go beyond the vertical, but to the horizontal. And as you guys are transitioning into new vision, as you guys are transitioning into a new mission, as you guys are going to a new direction, God is going to bring some very broken people into this place. Get ready. They're coming. They're coming. Go have the worship band come up and play a little bit. We're going to get back into worship in a second. They're, they're coming, church. God is going to bring some heavy burden people into this place. God is going to bring some insecure people into this place. God is going to bring some people who are searching for truth. And maybe their struggles might frighten you. And maybe you not, may not know what to do. Can I, can I tell you all a story real quick? I was in Marshalls a couple years ago. It's a great place to shop. I was in Marshalls and I was in the line and I've seen a lot of ministry. Not a lot intimidates me now. I've seen murderers walk into our group, get saved. I had a gang member walk up to me a month ago who was running from the law and said that he got convicted and he was gonna go turn himself in and he'd see me in probably eight months to a year. Like, I love that. He's like, God convicted me, bro, I gave my life to Jesus. I'm going to my dad, my uh, brother's taking me to the, uh, taking me to the station. I've been running from the law for the last three months. I'm tired of it. I was like, woo, don't hurt me. Love you, do it. And we've been writing each other letters. It's been great. Like, I've, been, I've seen God bring in some very broken people, very broken. But I was in Marshalls a couple of years ago. God stretched my, stretched my faith a little bit. Got in the line, and, and there was a transvestite, a man who was dressed up like a woman. And all God said, very small whisper, he said, invite that person to church. And I said, Woo, that's the devil. That's beyond me. That makes me really, really uncomfortable. Not because I hated that person. I just didn't really understand it. I was like, where do I even begin? Like, hey, uh, how do I even start that conversation? How do I even begin? Like, and suddenly, Holy Spirit, I'm like, All right, God, make me brave. I'm like, hey, my name's Chase. And person kind of looks at me like, why are you talking to me? I'm like, yo, I, I'm a pastor. We got a really great young adults ministry. And, and it would be my honor, maybe if you could come join us on a Tuesday. It's a lot of young people. They're really awesome. And it's this really cool community. And I just kind of felt in my heart that I wanted to invite you. And the way this person was looking at me was so confused. they was like, why are you talking? to me?" I'm like, I was like, so here's a card. And if you ever come, come sit in the front row next to my wife and I. We'd love to host you. Never forget the reaction. Huh. I've never had anybody invite me to church since I've been like this. Oh. And what we must ask ourselves, church, is how broken are people allowed to be? Which a better question for that is how far is the gospel allowed to go? Right. And the only way that we can be humble in how far the gospel can go is to recognize how far it's gone for us which is which must must enable us to identify areas in our lives where the gospel has gone far the way that we do that is literally by us understanding that we all have come from God we all belong to God and even as a pastor, I can be vulnerable, I can ask for help, and I need the person that's standing next to me, and they need me. Y'all, I was in a, I was in a, I was in a church, I'll tell the story in closing, I was in a, a primarily African-American church in Southern California, and I was 15 years old. And it was radical, I mean, people are just, I mean, you just move to move in that church, you don't, you don't even know why, you're just moving. You you just move, right? And there was this part in the service where the pastor, Reverend Kenny, did an amazing job preaching on unity. And everybody stood up and they started singing this song to each other. And I look over and a grown man that was in a three-piece suit sitting next to me stopped and looked at me. I kid you not, and began to sing to me. I pray for you. You pray for me. I love you. I need you to survive. I won't harm you with words from my mouth. I love you. I need you to survive I pray for you you pray for me I love you I need you to survive I won't harm you with words from my mouth I love you I need you to survive it is his will that every need be supplied you are important to me I need you to survive and in that moment the unity of that house now I know it's awkward I ain't gonna make y'all sing to each other I promise (laughs) but what I am saying is what would a church look like that was that way I need you you need me we're all a part of God's family Like it or not, regardless of your ethnicity, your gender, your culture, we're all a part of the family of God. Regardless of your background, your history, your current sin struggle, we're all a part of God's family. And and I need you to survive. You can overcome in Jesus' name. Paul, I know Macedonia is difficult, but I'm with you. It's not going to last forever. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. It's only a chapter. He's still writing your story. Don't give up. Stand. Believe. Trust. If God before you, who can be against you, I need you to survive, and there's been so many times in my journey, church, where I want to give up, where I want to stop, where I'm like, babe, let's quit, pastoring is whack, let's walk away, people suck, let's quit, there's been so many of those moments where I'm like, I'm done, and then the Trey Sales, the Andrew Leons, the Tim Coots come into the room, the Michelle Sagers, the Candace Harveys, the people that God has put on our journey, and they come and they're like, no, 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 no. We need you to survive. We love you and we're here for you and we're vulnerable, like we're like we're struggling. The marriage has been a bit difficult. No, no, come in, you guys are gonna be okay. Go to counseling, get help, remember who you are. I need you to survive. No, 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 you need us right now. Don't act like you only need God, you need God in us. Let us remind you of who you are. Let us impart the truth and the liberty that will bring freedom to your soul. This is our God. And then praise be to God. And this is the latter part of the message, and then I'm gonna say this and we're done. Some of you, you know you need people, but you don't think people need you. The devil is a liar. You matter, you have value, your story is a testimony, and you can reach people and impart things into people that nobody else can. Dare I say to you this morning, Mission Church, that you don't only need people, but people need you so if you are not playing your part in the house you are missing out on the opportunity not only to receive but to give and there is a personal validation that comes when you are building and you are a part of the house of the Lord and I just came to tell Mission Church prophetically that they are coming, they're coming from the north, the south, the east and the west and the bay area has been waiting for a church like this that will rise up seemingly out of the ashes and reveal the beauty of God the beauty of God that is inclusive the beauty of God that says come as you are and not as you should be. The beauty of God that says there are no dips and divides at the cross, but it is level. The beauty of God that says I'll survive with you. I'll fight with you. You don't have to be alone in this. Don't be in isolation. I know you're addicted to porn. I know you might have committed adultery. I know you got depression. I know you got anxiety, but you cannot out the cross. I know you're struggling, but let us survive with you. Let us walk with you. Let us agree with you. Let us remind you of truth. Church, This is our God. And God has taken my wife and I into deeper levels of vulnerability, and we're so thankful because people know us and they still love us. Y'all know us and you still listen. And They're like, we see God in you. So this morning, if you're afraid, if you find yourself afflicted, if you find yourself with fear within, number one, Jesus is with you, and that's the most important. But Jesus goes beyond the call of duty, and He says, I've not only given you myself, I've given you each other. And through all of time, church, think about this, through all of time, regardless of whether you believe in old earth or new earth theology, through all of time, you and I are in this specific region, at this specific time, in this specific place, for such a time as this. It seems so accidental on its surface, but dare I say that it is God's intentional provision over you and I. And I say unto you, man of God, and I say unto you, woman of God, and I say unto you, son of God, and I say unto you, daughter of God, I need you. And you need me. Like it or not, you got a Negro cousin. Accept it. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.